Good. Father, we worship you and we praise you and we love you. Thank you, Lord, for your love for us. I just pray, Father, that your will be done this morning. What you have deemed before the creation of man to be done this morning, let it be done. I declare in Jesus' name. Fill my mouth with your words, none of my own. Give us clarity to see, clarity to hear what your Spirit says to each of us. You promised, Lord, when we seek you, we will find you. Father, we sought you in worship. We found you. We seek you around your throne. And I declare in confidence, we will find you. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this is a different vantage point for me. Right? It's been, has it been five weeks or six weeks? I think Alexis, did Alexis, yeah, it's been too long. There's a little bit of a ring in, in, uh, in my mic here. Um, for those of you who were online and wondering what happened to us last week, Michael and I did not get back from Nigeria until Tuesday night, but last Sunday, my father passed away. And it was that Sunday afternoon. And so we weren't online because this church was warring for the Father's will to be done. And it was. I mention that simply because I'm, I'm not going to go any further with that except to say that there will be announcements as to how you can engage. There will be a funeral on the 18th. It will be live streamed. We don't have all the information yet, but we will put it out. And you'll also notice that I don't, I haven't said anything really on Facebook. Now, those of you sitting here probably know this. Those of you on Facebook watching this now, let me clue you into something. I don't do personal things very often on Facebook. See, I don't really see Facebook as an ally. I don't see it as a friend. I see it as a tool, a necessity at this point. And I would encourage, especially young people, Begin to see Facebook in that way and don't put your feelings on Facebook. But please understand, this does not constitute that I had no feelings for my father. Because those will be expressed and have been expressed to people in the family here. They will be expressed publicly 
at the funeral. But I can tell you that I have never known a soul with more integrity than my dad. And there is nothing that angers me more than Satan doing everything he could to keep us away. But he failed. He failed because Satan doesn't see the full picture of the battlefield. He doesn't. You need to understand that because rage does not allow you to see depth. Rage only allows you to see what's in front of your face. But maturity, maturity in Christ, relationship with Him, allows you to see in the face of that rage a depth that needs to be seen because we make decisions right now for things that are affected further in that depth. Affecting with things coming our way. That may or may not make sense right now, but it will be proven to be critical as we move through these next few weeks and months. This morning as I was speaking with the Lord He asked me to do something that we normally don't do in this way. And guys, I want you, I took them out, but pass out the the, uh, communion cups. We're going to do communion this morning. We don't need music or anything. We're going to do something a little bit different. And the communion is for the purpose of unity. Unifying on a single thought. And that is what Jesus Christ began. That night that He told His disciples that tomorrow He would be slain. He began a process that is not being completed. Do you understand that? The process that Jesus began has not been completed. The most significant portion of it has been. And that is the covering of sin. That is allowing us to be covered. I, I have one thing. Allowing us to be covered by the blanket of His blood so that we can be His children when we receive Jesus into our hearts. That part's been completed, been finished. But the part that has not been finished is the reason that Israel did not believe He was the Messiah in the first place. See, they expected Him to come as a conquering King. That's what was prophesied. That's what still holds true even now, thousands of years later. But the fact of the matter is, that He will complete that. And even now, He is completing that. I want you to take your cup. Take out the 
see if I could do this. I shake so bad. Here, open the top part for me, please. Thank you. Sometimes when the Holy Spirit is on me so heavy, <laughs> maybe I should ask you to put it in my mouth. No. Take out the little wafer. This little piece of effectively styrofoam. <laughs> That's what it tastes like. But understand what this signifies. Understand what this represents. This represents your Savior. This represents the one who allowed by his own choice his body to be beaten almost to the point of death. It wasn't just his death on the cross. It was the stripes that he took on our behalf. This little wafer represents that. And as he handed it out in, in the form of bread, unleavened bread to his disciples, he said, take and eat. Now hold on, don't do it yet. Because see, there has to be a rightness between you and God before you do this. There has to be a rightness in your relationship with Him. Only you can know what that is. But as you take this, spend a moment if there is anything in your heart, if there is anything that, that you need to confess, spend a moment doing that right now. Jesus, as we take this wafer, we understand the representation of what it means. Pierce into our hearts and look at our love for you. That is an individual thing. Only the person taking this knows where they are with you. But Jesus, as we take this wafer, we remember the stripes that you took for us, that were intended for us. We were the deserving ones, not you. And yet it was Father's will that you take them. So as we take of this wafer, we remember what you did for us with your body and that sacrifice. Take of the wafer.
And likewise, he took the cup. He took the cup and he passed it to his disciples and he said, This represents my blood. The very life that he gave for us on the cross. The very reason that he came to this earth choosing to become a man. Understand, he did not have to do this. As God Himself, equal with the Father, He chose to humble Himself and become a man. Then He humbled Himself even further to the death of the cross. When we take of this juice, we take of it with the remembrance of the representation of His blood that was spilt for us, that gave us opportunity for life. So much more than that. It gave us opportunity for relationship with Him, for friendship with Him, as it says in John 15. So Jesus, we worship You as we take of this cup in unifying manner, we proclaim Your blood and thanks for what You did on the cross for us. We take this cup in remembrance of Your sacrifice. Take of the cup. Father, we worship You. Lord, You have laid this prayer on my heart all morning. You told me it needed to come after communion. We await Your Son. We await Your Son in complete faith of what He has promised. What the Pharisees expected and all of Israel expected but did not see 2,000 years ago will be accomplished. Your Son will come as the conqueror. This world knows Him as a lamb. This world knows Him as a Savior. This world does not yet know Him as a conqueror. As one who rules with a rod of iron. Over the years, that has become muddled, Father. Because of our own thoughts of what Your mercy is, what Your grace is, by subtracting out the need for Your justice. 
because you are a holy, holy God. It is time, Father. It is time in Jesus' name that you send your conqueror. We declare it in unity. Your will be done. Your Son will conquer, will rule. I declare it in Jesus' name. Amen. What does it look like to have Jesus come as a conqueror? I can tell you what Israel fought 2,000 years ago. See, they were under Roman rule 2,000 years ago, and what they thought was all of the promises that were given to them by the prophets would then come true. They failed to understand and failed to see the most important part was first relationship. They were looking at their physical existence and the fact that they were literally under bondage as what God would save them from. And Jesus made it clear, what I save you from is the bondage of sin. See, but he's not finished with that. Jesus' time on this earth is not done. In fact, it's barely begun. He spent 33 years on this earth and the Bible tells us He will spend another thousand. Now don't be confused. We're not going into the tribulation. The thousand year reign that is right after that is is not right around the corner. Because what the Lord is doing now is a foreshadowing of what He will do with Israel, His chosen people. Because they would not believe, because they would not listen, because they expected a conqueror instead of a Messiah, the Lord said, I will do this a different way. Paul said it was his joy to reveal the very mystery that was hidden in the Old Testament. And that mystery was the church. That mystery is the bride. Literally the children of God. Do they replace Israel? No. Nothing will ever replace His chosen Israel. But see, he decided to go this direction because the Gentiles of the time believed and understood that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. So it's through the church, through the bride, that he has shown that he will make Israel jealous. Romans 11.11 Look it up if you don't believe me. That literally Israel will become jealous of how God treats His children, the church. And from that we'll recognize who Jesus Christ is. 
then Jesus will come because he said, all I'm waiting on is for Israel to call me Messiah and ask me to come. There will come a day when that happens. And that's when he will come and physically reign on this earth in the thousand year reign. But before that time, he will show through his bride what he wants to do with Israel. And and we've talked about this many times. Online, if you're unfamiliar, look at some of the past messages and get the information on it. We are in a foreshadowing of what he is wanting to do with Israel. So in this foreshadowing, he will bring the bride to a place of leadership on this earth. A place of influence on this earth. Revelation 3.9. We've talked about that many times. That's never happened yet. And yet Jesus himself, who wrote that letter to the churches, not to Israel, to the churches, said this will happen. Never happened yet. But it's about to. We've talked about this many times. My, my intent is not to go into that this morning, but I want you to understand in your thought process where we are at. Because see, you look at the circumstances and it becomes confusing. Because as hard as we have fought over the last four years, or three and a half years, whatever it's been, as hard as we've fought, now in one fell swoop, it looks like everything's different. Everything's opposite. Praise God. Praise God it does. Because if you think God is going to do a miraculous thing without the miracle, you're confused. God has said time and time again, I am going to show my hand. He's not going to show how much we rallied people together to do His will. Now thank God for that. We're supposed to do that. We're supposed to unify together to do that. And by the way, when the bride unifies, hmm, that'll be a time to watch. See, the bride's never been unified. In 2,000 years, the bride's never been unified. Satan almost right away was able to get in there and cause division. Why was he able to do that? Because he had time. He had time on his side. He could begin to whittle away and work at human reactions. Human pride, the very thing that made him fall in the first place. But guess what Satan is losing very quickly? Time. He's out of time. Because there is a point in God's calendar where God moves forward with what he is doing and what he has said. And that time, excuse me, that time is now. Don't be confused by what you see out there. Don't be confused by this election. I might suggest not to put it on Facebook. You see what happens when you do that. 
asked the Lord the other day, I said, Lord, why in the world did you have me put that on Facebook? I don't, I don't even like Facebook. And he said, because. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I remember saying, when I was a kid, asking my parents that, and my dad would, just because. Because I said so. All you kids understand that, you know, we just want a little more than that, right? Sometimes from dad, we don't get a little more. But he has given us his promises. I put it out on Facebook. And honestly, I do know why. I'm not sure I like the answer to it. But it is to hold accountable those who would oppose. That's a tough statement. Because there are those who oppose. But just because the world says something is what it is, does not mean it is what it is. It is what God says that it is. Now there's a beautiful piece of where we're at right now. You, you know, we've talked about this many times, the, the part that, that is the most difficult to understand is the timing of things. Right? And we've dealt with that a million times. Trying to figure out things in our time. And, and as best as I can understand this, God has tried to get me to understand the fact that you, you keep trying to quantify something in this space called time. I am outside of time. But the beautiful thing is, there is a calendar what he is doing and because we are here on time in this earth we are under time here there are parameters that he does things within don't be confused Donald Trump is our next president it's not going to wait four more years and then then he'll be it again or it's not Trumpism like, like he won because of bringing God's values or what, whatever, whatever you need to say. No, see, because in that office, there needs to be the wrecking ball that he has been the first three and a half years. It will be again. He will win. How? I haven't a clue. I have no clue. I mean, could, honestly, I didn't think he would lose. So I have no answer to that. I just know what I believe in my heart because I trust what the Lord has said, said even five years ago. And, and by the way, for those of you online, you don't need to message me. You don't need to email me or text me. I'm not the only one that the Lord said it to. The Lord had set, has said it to thousands, thousands of people, thousands of people separately, by the way. We don't, we're not that well organized for him to tell one person and then they tell another and so on and so on and so on. Thankfully. But see, there are people that are in tune with the Lord that he has chosen to speak to and speak through. And he has told thousands of them. So it's your choice to believe or not. Let me be clear, your belief does not dictate what he does. Joe Biden will not be president. 
Neither will Kamala. And what, what's the third after that? Is it Pelosi? Neither will Pelosi. I don't know how he's choosing to do it. It could be that I, I'm not even going to go there. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because what does it look like when a conquering king comes and conquers? I'll tell you what I don't believe. I don't believe that God, seeing His remnant that has cried out globally for so long, will turn His ear in the promises that He has made. I don't believe that. In fact, I stake my life on it. He will come through with His promises. And we will see very shortly. Because barring an act of Congress... Come January 20th of 2021, we will see another president inaugurated. And it will be Donald Trump. I don't know how. But here's the thing, and this is the thought that I want to get to this morning. Deep faith is not and can never become deep faith until it goes through testing. Until it goes through a depth of testing where there is no way, but yet I am to believe. Look in Hebrews chapter 11. We're not going to go there. We're going to go some other places. But, but you know this chapter, the faith chapter. Right? In there, it lists all these, it's called the Hall of Faith, all these people in the, in the Old Testament that were faith-filled. But it was an extraordinary faith. And then it says about three-quarters of the way through the chapter, it says, and none of them even saw the fulfillment of the promises. But yet they believed. But yet you look at that and you have to realize, no, they did see some of the promises. Because Abraham was given the promise that his seed would be greater than anything in the world, right? All the sand in the seashore, all the stars in the sky, all that. He never saw that promise. But he was promised that he would be given a son. He saw that promise. He saw the promise of him being moved to a new land where he was an outsider. That promise was fulfilled because he was obedient. I'm going to suggest the real promise that was not yet fulfilled for each of them was simply because it couldn't be fulfilled yet. And that is that one day they would live in a city whose foundations are built by God. Just read it. Go through, go through Hebrews 11. It's an amazing, amazing, amazing chapter. But understand that your faith will be tested. I want you to turn, and you're going to know all of these, but we're going to read a few things. I want you to turn to Daniel chapter 3. 
And this is the fiery furnace, right? You know the story where, where these three, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or my shack, your shack, and a bungalow. <laughs> that is a Baptist joke right there. I heard that growing up as, anyways, sorry. They were told that they would have to bow down, and they said no, and you know the story, but I want to go to verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. Now imagine, imagine the situation. Right? They are priests of the living God. They have relationship with God. Knowing their hands are in, or their lives are in His hand. And they're told about and they say no. Now they're standing before the king, before a person that with a single word, their life is taken. Do you understand the power? We don't understand that here in America. Because here there's a process of all of that. But there, it was a simple word. That's what they were facing. That's what they were before. And they said, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the fiery furnace. See, because Nebuchadnezzar said, if you are going to do this, we're going to throw you in the fire. They said, if you're going to do it, do it. Because if it is God's will, He will deliver us from it. But if not, verse 18, but if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Wow. Imagine, put yourself in that position. Now, these are not guys that didn't have much to live for. Right? These were known guys. These, these were guys that probably lived a decently comfortable life. Yet all that was being placed on the line when it was said to worship this image that was put up. And they said, we can't do that. Because that's not God. That is not the God. And so when it was said that, hey, do this or you're going to be put in the furnace, they said, do what, do what you have to do. We will not defy our God. We will not worship another God. And, and by the way, He is way more powerful than you. If He wants us out of this, He'll get us out of it. But if not, it doesn't change the resolve of what we believe. Do you understand that? They had already been on a pathway of faith that then became tested in a way that was opposite of what they understood in the face of very death. And, and you know the end of the story. They're thrown into the fiery furnace. It's, it, they made Nebuchadnezzar so angry, so angry in their defiance, he said, heat it up seven times. So much so that the guy throwing them in, they died. And then these three go in there. And you know what? I don't even think it was warm. I don't know. I mean, 
they look in and they say, wait, there are four in there. Jesus literally protected them, surrounded them. I mean, what an extraordinary miracle. And yet, let's bring it back to our time here in the United States. We read these things like fables. We read these things like, oh, yeah, the, wow, that was a different time. And, and see, they don't have technology like we do. So, so you know, they could see that it's this, blah, 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 whatever. Whatever you need to tell yourself that miracles like this no longer happen is a disgrace to your relationship with the Lord. And I know, I know I'm preaching to the choir here. But to those online, why do you not believe that God can do what He has always done? And, and, and that it will actually happen here in the United States, not some dark corner of Africa where they don't know any better. By the way, you know the difference between the United States and the continent of Africa? We, we think that we are so ahead of everything here because of technology, because of our conveniences, because of everything else. And yet, it takes going there to open people's eyes. It opened my eyes. Why? Not because of the poverty. Not be, I saw that in Mexico. You could see that. In some places here, it wasn't that. It was the recognition that the spirit world is more real than the tangible three-dimensional world that we see. See, in the United States, we don't understand that as a people. We literally are the country that God was talking about when he described the rich man not needing God. It's not that he doesn't need God, it's just that he places himself in such a cubicle of understanding that it limits what's really going on. Doesn't mean it's not going on, understand that. See, in Africa they know this. It's widespread, they accept it. On the good side and the bad side, by the way. I want you to turn somewhere else. Turn to Jan Daniel chapter 6. We all know this one too. Daniel in the lion's den. Now this one was a little bit different. Because see, Daniel and the king were friends. In this case, Daniel was loved by the king. And it was manipulated by some of the other king's men to, again, have this point where they had to bow down. They could not pray to their own God, right? <coughs> I think it was 30 days or whatever it was that they weren't supposed to do any prayer. The people setting it up knew good and well Daniel was going to pray. He did it every day at the same time, in the same place, publicly. So they set this up and duped the king to sign it. And see, once it's signed, it's signed. It's law. It can't be changed. So once the king got past, I'm sure, his initial shock of what he himself had done. 
He then said, verse 16, Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of the lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. What a statement of faith. See, he knew Daniel. But yet, he spent the entire night Now, this is not a believer. He spent the entire night just ripped on the inside thinking Daniel was not going to last the night. Now, it doesn't say here how Daniel was, except that there was no opposition from him. He didn't argue. He didn't say, wait a second, there should be a loophole here because this wasn't fair, this wasn't right. No, he trusted God. He stepped forward. And much like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he, he felt the same thing that if God wants to take care of it, he will. If not, I believe him. I trust him. But do you see what, what, what happened here? The circumstances of his situation, his surroundings... Changed, flip-flopped 180 degrees from what he expected. So his faith was not required just to get him through. His faith was tested to the point of death. I want to go to one more. Is this thing rubbing? Is that what it is? I want to go to one more. I want you to turn to Matthew. Chapter 26. Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. This is one that is hard to understand because, see, so often as a Christian, we think of Jesus when he came as a man that, that he still operated as God. But that's not what the scriptures say. It said he learned obedience. And and. By the way, that doesn't mean that he was a bad kid and learned to be a good kid. It's not what it means. What is obedience? It's faith. What pleases God? It's faith. Jesus, as a human man, had to learn that faith. That was the only way that he could take us on a pathway and show us that it could be done. Because he did it as a man. Imagine that. I mean, I I, I sit and I talk with him and, and it just confounds my mind how Jesus would have had to learn the faith to believe who he was. I mean, think about that. He had to believe the Father just like we are taught to believe what the Father says. Now, the beauty of it is Jesus plowed the road. We don't have to go across landscape that's not been plowed at all. Jesus plowed that faith. He showed us a pathway literally to have that relationship with the Father because that pathway is Him. But He did that through faith. In the Garden of Gethsemane, He's praying, right? He he goes and he leaves his disciples. Then he takes the three inner circle ones and he goes a little further. Then he leaves them and he goes to pray. 
And he said in verse 39, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. That right there is a statement of faith. If you think Jesus Christ came to this earth and immediately knew everything that was supposed to happen to him and did not have to believe it in faith, then that makes this, what he said in the Garden of Gethsemane, not make sense. Because he already would have known the answer. Now, in his heart, just like the Father speaks to us, you probably did know the answer. Because he said, yet not my will, but yours. But he said, Lord, if there is any way, what do you think he was anguishing over? Do you think it was the pain? I don't think so. I don't think so. Because I don't know about you, but let's say that I came to you. Let's let's say let's say I'm the father and, and you're the son, and I don't mean that in blasphemy at all. But just for you to understand this point. And I say to you. I need you to go and become a man and then offer your life on the cross for the sins of the world. You will only be in that grave for three days. Then you will be raised and your name will be lifted above all names. Now let me ask you from a logical standpoint, if you knew you had to suffer the pain, physical pain of death, of torture and death. But you knew that the price of that being paid would give opportunity for life for everyone. Would you do it? Yeah, you would. I can't imagine anybody wouldn't. I I, I mean, I have the mentality that that physically I could put up with anything if I knew there was an end to that. Do you see what I'm saying? If I knew that at some point this earthly body would give up, I'd be done, world would be saved, and all would be good. Absolutely I would choose that. Because it seems like an easy choice. You have to understand there's more at play here. Jesus had to believe that by faith. Jesus had to believe that that what was going to be done to him in his body, hanging on the cross, emptying out his body of his blood, what was going to be done to him by faith, he believed, would be the price for mankind. What an extraordinary faith. That's why he cried here, if it be any possible way, let this cup pass before me. I want to go a little further now. When Jesus is on the cross, Matthew 27, and before you email me and tell me that that's blasphemous and 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 
no, Jesus knew absolutely what he was doing and everything else. And, and you know, he was just told by the Father and, and he just had to go through the act. Understand that it was faith that pleased God. Why would it be any different with Jesus? Do you think Jesus was pleasing to the Father? <laughs> yeah, he said so. This is my son, in whom I'm well pleased. And yet if it is faith that pleases God, you've got to understand that it was faith that Jesus plowed the ground for. And an example of that is when he was on the cross at the very end. And this shows his humanity. Not that he isn't God. He is God. He did not act as God when he was a man. Verse 46 of chapter 27 says, And about the ninth hour Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? See, that statement right there shows his humanity as God. What he had chose to become was now crying out in the anguish that he was going through on that cross. It's kind of like, have you ever stepped into something knowing for sure, absolute positive, this is what God is having you do, and you're stepping into it thinking, uh, it's, like, it's like that voice saying, you're on, you're on, you're on, you're on, you're on, but you step. That's what was going on with Jesus. Not that he wasn't trusting his father. He, he was fully trusting him. He was on the cross. But he was taken to the blackest part of his faith. The darkest part where he had to still say yes. Where nothing else looked like what was promised. Think about it. He was on the cross and he was surrounded by people except for a few that hated him. Hated him. Even the, the jeering of the, of the one thief. That's what he's surrounded by. And his life, all that he has been by faith believing in who he is and what God is doing had to come down to a point of still saying yes. Yes in the faith, face of everything being different. Everything being opposite of what you think. Why would you think that in that moment there's victory? Right? We've to we talk about it all the time. The greatest victory was Jesus' death. But going through that, being in that moment, you wouldn't think that that's victory. You would think that that's defeat. You'd, you'd be overwhelmed by the voices around you saying that Satan has the victory. And yet that cry out for his father, who was right there, never left him, never forsook, forsook him, promised that. But Jesus at that moment could not feel him. 
Because he was paying the price. The price for you and for me. See, we find ourselves at a point where our faith is beyond testing. See, it's required that you believe and not just keep passing tests. You believe because you believe. You believe in what God is doing because he has proven it to you, not to your pastor. You don't believe it because he's proven it to me. You prove it because, or you believe it because he has proved it to you in your relationship with him. And this is all over the globe, guys. It's what we call the remnant. What we call those who are in relationship with Jesus Christ. Those are the ones right now that are looking at the situation and saying, this is opposite of what the Lord has said. But yet he wants us to believe. Believe. Pour your faith into it. Even if you aren't sure or don't know what's going to happen, what pleases him? It's faith. So at the very least, your goal should be to please Him. Don't let your faith be rocked. Go back and understand the foundations in which you came to the conclusion in your relationship with Him in the first place. Go back to those. Trust in what He is saying. Because I'm telling you what, the world is about to change. We've been talking about it for a long time, but we are at the doorstep. We are at the doorstep. We have entered into this three and a half year period that will be a very difficult period for those who do not believe. For the remnant, it will be just the opposite. Because what God is doing is He is placing those in relationship with Him into positions of leadership in this world. Believe it or not, that's what He's doing. If you want to know the truth, I suggest you press into Him. Because guess what? He's not going to tell you anything differently than He has told us. God is not one that pits his children against each other. We do that all by ourselves. But what he wants in this time is for us to believe. Don't look at the circumstances and think there's no way this will turn around. (laughs) Somebody yesterday, I can't remember if it was a post on Facebook or, or something, or maybe Alex told me about somebody, but uh, or it might have been, might have been. Wendy may have sent me something. I can't remember how I get things, but, but it was talking about Haman. You know who I'm talking about? Haman, who was against Mordecai, against, uh, in this the book of Esther, right? Esther was queen, and and Esther was there for that appointed time literally to be a savior, quote-unquote, for Israel. Because she was the only one with the voice. 
Well, what actually happened there? See, Haman, he wanted to destroy Israel. He had already made plans to destroy Israel. And the part that I want to point out about this, I, I want to encourage you to go read it. Because the point, I want, the, the point I want to make in it, I'm going to have you read later, isn't so much the part where Esther goes before the king and, and all this is turned around and everything else and Mordecai is vindicated. That's all awesome. That's all awesome. But what I want you to read is, is really uh, maybe chapter 9 on. Because what Haman had set up to destroy Israel was the very thing that destroyed not only him, but all his cohorts. Destroyed. Look at it. They didn't just get a slap on the wrist. In fact, if you read the actual story of when Haman was killed, wow, it, 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 that would be frightening. That would be frightening that... He, he, he goes to speak something and then they take a black hood and they throw it over his head and pull it tight. And they take him to the very gallows that he put up. I declare in Jesus' name, this is what is coming to this country. What has been set up by the enemy, by Satan himself, to bring down the remnant to bring down God's children, to take away the very plan that God has for them in the readying of the bride, all that setup, all that work that Satan has done to set that up will be for the demise of his own people. And it will be quickly. has to be. Because come January 20th, we move on to the second four years. And we move on in faith to God moving that shift. What, what did he say the, the Tuesday was? And, it, and it, I think we talked about it maybe on a Tuesday night. I don't know that I've mentioned it on a Sunday. Well, I know I haven't because I haven't been here. But he said that Tuesday was a shift. And I even asked him, I said, Lord, you mean, you mean about, the, about the election? He said, no. He said, Tuesday, and this was a, maybe a week or two weeks before, I can't remember, how, however long it was before, but he said, Tuesday is a shift of my spirit. And in asking him a little bit about what that meant, I came to understand that it is a shift of what has been this balance of power for so long. And the shift is literally taking those who are in relationship with Jesus Christ and putting them in positions of leadership in this country and then throughout the world. That's the shift that has started. You're going to start seeing it happen. Why? Because those who are in relationship with Jesus Christ and the purity of that relationship do not make decisions on their own. Do you understand? They don't make decisions out of their own wisdom, out of their own experience. No, good night. If you have 
a direct communication with God and you're, you're trying to figure out a decision to make, what are you going to do? You're going to go to God. Lord, what, what do I do in this? See, you can't do that if there is not communication between you and the Lord. So he is putting people in the, the, of the remnant that have relationship with him, that have this back and forth, he's putting them in places of leadership globally. Because what's going to happen is Jesus Christ will rule this earth. Mark my words. Jesus Christ will rule this earth through his bride before his bride is taken in the rapture. Why? Because it's the only way Israel is going to see. Romans 11, 11. It will literally make them jealous. They will see where they were wrong. They will see that it is Jesus who is the Messiah. And then, boom! The church is gone in the rapture. And that will be Israel's time to say yes and understand who Jesus Christ is. So know the times that we are in. Don't be confused about what you see. Trust. And I'm not saying paint it with what you think it's going to be either. I have no idea. I have no idea. I mean, maybe God will just take all of those in opposition, round them up together, and move them to Canada. I I wouldn't will that on Canada, but I don't know how he's going to do it. It doesn't matter. Because we're not the ones doing it. He is. But what he does require from us is faith. Absolute faith. Come on. A lot to take in and God is really working a great work you know I was thinking about faith and God's had faith on my heart so much as well and um, before we close in prayer I the one verse that he's had on my heart every week for the for the women's ministry is um, Hebrews 10 23 that we're to hold fast the profession of our faith but the thing that's interesting is that the last phrase in that verse says for he who promised is faithful and if there's one thing that we have found in, um, in people that have struggled in this, this journey and, and with ignition is that there's always a questioning of, well, how do you know you're right? How do you know you're following, you know, uh, the spirit of God and not a demon spirit? I mean, how do you actually know? And the interesting thing that I find in those questions and in that, in that uh, pushing back it is so important to know the Lord's voice. And, uh, and as Greg just said, you don't have even the ability to go before the Lord and talk to him about critical decisions and even, even going before him and understanding his word without that communication. But it also indicates this idea that I have to be right. Like, how do you know you're right? Because if I don't agree with you and you're right, 
that means I'm wrong. And so the push is I can't be wrong because it's, it's like instead of a discussion or a question, it becomes such a pushback. It, it becomes an accusation because I can't reconcile within my mind that I could be wrong. And part of what God is trying to do in the bride and, and desires and has desired from the beginning is that we all just seek him. He is the unifier. It is his voice that unifies. But this, this concern and this fear about what voice, um, God does desire truth. He wants he wants us in John 8:32 and you shall know the truth and the truth will make you free. He is the very truth. He is the way, the truth and the life. And yet this back and forth, I, I find that that the real truth of of what faith is and living it out is is so lost. It's such a foreign idea in the church and and even to my own admitting I didn't know the cost of faith. I didn't know um, what it really would cost to be willing to stake your very life on something. And that is what, that is what God is asking. The reason that phrase at the end of Hebrews 10.23 is so important to me personally, I'll just share, is because I may at times be wrong about things. But it says, he who promised is faithful. God is faithful. He says, if you seek me with all of your heart, you'll find me. He says, come unto me and I will give you the rest. There will be an exchange. When you come to me, you will find me. And I just trust that what I sang about my whole life, great is thy faithfulness, is just something that I rely on and that if I'm not right, I will always err on the side of obedience. Because when I stand before the Lord, and this is the way that everyone ought to feel, when we stand before the Lord, will you err on the side of trusting God even if you were wrong about certain things? God's voice promises the clarity. He will prove it out if we seek him. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. We will see, we will understand we will be able to discern those things are available to us to keep our foot from being moved. There's so many verses about that. He'll guide our path if we don't lean on our own understanding, promise after promise after promise. But he's the one that's faithful. So I trust him to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. First Timothy 1 Timothy 1.12, or 2 Timothy 1.12. That is so important to me because... The big pushback and, and the thing that, that will, will happen in all of your lives. It's not just Greg. Uh, it's many, many people, even across the country, who are, who are remnant, believing the Lord. People are going to come against you and, and say, but how do you know? Well, if I don't know, then I trust that he who promised is faithful. He's faithful. He is going to keep my path straight. So I don't have to have a self-preservation of what's right. And the real question is, when it comes to faith, what would you die for? What would you die for? Are you willing to die for something that you believe in? Now, I'm not just talking about some abstract, you know, you're passionate about things. But, I mean, that is the cost of faith, is being willing. That is the only way to overcome. We know that from Revelation 12, or 10:12 that we overcome by the blood of the Lamb, the word of our testimony, and that we love not our life unto death. Are you willing, are we willing to, to die? That's a really hard thing for me to speak out because God often 
has me prove in my walk what I say. But when you peel back the layers of what faith is, you you can't what 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 we've gotten so accustomed to in our culture is that well I'll believe that until it may not be right until I may be proven that it's not right and I'm not saying you don't you don't change when you're in error that's different but I'm talking about when it becomes a cost and I change my theology to suit where my comfort zone is then what I'm really fundamentally saying is that what I believe the most in is self-preservation I just believe in me and in my zone of what makes me, and that we're seeing that in politicians. They, they change with every wind of whatever comes so that, that they can get ahead because when all is said and done, what's most important is them. And, and that, the Lord is, you know, that's what Paul said, I die daily. It, it is about saying, Lord, I trust you. I trust you even if I'm wrong. My heart desires to not be in error because I want a pure relationship with you. But if I'm in error, I trust that he who promised is faithful. And I just want to leave you with that in, in just my comment of today's message is because when you learn the voice of God, and as you learn it, sometimes there are things that you are confused about. But if he who promised is faithful, he will correct the voice that you've been listening to. He will, when you seek him with a purity of heart, he will correct if you've been listening to a wrong voice because he doesn't want to leave you deceived. He will keep that which you have committed. And we do sometimes fall into deception. That's probably the most misunderstood thing about ignition is that we're so determined to believe what we say. No, when you give the Holy Spirit charge of a church, it is the scariest thing ever. And that's why most churches, most most believers don't give Holy Spirit full reign of, of their lives or their churches for sure. Because you, you ha- there is such a dependency, such a, like when, when the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus after his baptism and rested on him like a dove. The slightest, the slightest quick movement or sudden movement, the, the reason dove was used is because it, it can so quickly go away. You, you, have to, you have to walk with such a stability and a calm and a steadfastness to keep that dove from leaving. That's the kind of awareness of his presence, knowing of his voice that we have to be in. But it is possible to know his voice like that and to know him. So it's not about just wanting to be right and we're saying all these things and, and you know, we're going to be... It's, a, it's irrelevant where, where we fit in. It's just God's called us into relationship with him. When he speaks, we've got to believe him. What kind of relationship is that if we just kind of pick and choose what, what we hear him say based on what looks like it's about, well, I'll believe that because, I mean, that looks pretty likely. That's sadly where we've come. And that's why so few are not, they're not overcoming because they will not live not their life unto death. I'm using a double negative there. But their life is so preserved that it literally hinders their ability to overcome and it's so sad. And those moments are, are the door is closing in that. There is, God is, he's had the line in the sand. Choose you this day whom you will serve. You cannot serve self. And money represents a lot of that. When, you, when, when you've got to have your money and you've got to have the stuff that makes you feel good. Which oftentimes I always think of the, the three, you know, it's like the food and drugs sexual stuff, and your money. Those are the three things that make people the most uncomfortable about when it, when it, talks, when it comes to, 
to giving them into the Lord's hands. It's like, don't touch my money. Don't tell me how to sexually behave because I want what I want when I want it. And certainly don't tell me to put, you know, what not to put or what to put in this hole in my face because my taste buds want what they want when I want it. And this is self-preservation of, of, of this hedonism of, of comfort. Everything is about me, me, me is, is something that we, we, we do laugh about it because it's, it, but it's also, it's just so sad and it keeps us from the greater joy and delight and ability to overcome and, and, and the bride, God's only become their God when they're in the worst of situations, finally willing to cry out. And yet God wants us to just enjoy him every single day, to rejoice. In Psalm 118.23, this is the day, every day. That's the verse is for every day. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. No matter what the circumstance, that's not a circumstantially, there's no, there's no, um, it doesn't hinge on anything. It's just, it's a, it's a truth because of the constancy of who God is. And um, so I, I hope you'll listen to this again. And, um, and by the way, I do want to just say, <laughs> Greg's heart, we love our online audience. It's, he didn't mean that as a saying that it's you online people that don't get anything. No, he wasn't saying that. It's, it's just that we know that so many of the Ignition family that are with us all the time have, have heard these points over and over again in so many different settings. Um, but we, we are always so appreciative for people that will join uh, Ignition and, and partner with us. And uh, there's been, um, there's been a, a, a mix of, of reactions, and a lot of people are trying to wor- really work things out right now. So we need to continue to pray for one another. Let's close in prayer. Father, we love you, God. We praise you. We thank you, God. Thank you, God, that it is you that promised who, are, who is faithful. Oh, great is your faithfulness, God. Even when we are not faithful, you are so faithful. And, God, you have proven that you are so worthy of every ounce of our lives to be laid down before you. I just worship you and praise you and thank you that you really are in control. That isn't just my bumper sticker. That isn't just my little, um, little knick-knack thing on my desk or, or a, a T-shirt that I bought that says God is in control. But God, you really are in total control. And in giving you our yes, in coming to you as a little child, Not coming to you with what we think we know, but coming to you hungry that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and to share in the fellowship of his sufferings, to totally live a laid down life with you, God. That is what you will not despise, a broken and contrite heart, willing to just want to know you more. God, you you are in control and you reveal these things and you entrust us with more as we can steward more with faith. It's a scary thing to ask you, Father, to increase our faith. It's like asking you to increase our muscle mass. We know in the physical realm that that requires hard, sometimes torturous work in the gym to increase our muscle mass. Oh, but the strength on the other side to turn our faith, God, into enduring faith, rock-solid faith. We would die faith for you, God. I just pray that you'd bring that desire, that passion, that appetite to each of us, God, to want to know you more. 
Because truly, as you have said in your word, I hath not seen, nor ear hath heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things that you have prepared for those that love you, God. Oh, God, I can't even imagine. But, Lord, I just, I just thank you that I can certainly say on behalf of those here with us today, most certainly, God, that we do trust you. We do trust you. Sometimes we don't know what areas we don't trust you in, but in your love, you begin to refine and purify. And you're doing that with your bride now. You want your bride pure gold, and it can only be purified as that fire heats up. But as we sing that beautiful song, and from that book, from the book of Daniel as well, there is another in the fire. God, you are with us. You will never leave us or forsake us. Oh, let us not have that fall off of our our lips with some sort of lighthearted, just like it's just a phrase. But God, the truth, the rich truth of that is so significant. You are there. If we are in you, Lord, because of salvation, then everything we enter into is also in you. Help us to never forget these things. Thank you for the word that you gave us. Thank you for communion. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the sacrifice on the cross that paid for my sin, my wicked sin. You paid. You paid the price for the penalty of sin. You you invited me into relationship with you to to be able to escape the power of sin. And one day, one day, when I'm with you face to face, I will be escaping totally the presence of sin. Oh, what a glorious promise. We love you so much, God. Do your will. We ask that your will, thy will be done on this earth as you have said it and determined it in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.